Hi, I'm Maggie Hackett. And I'm Mary Frances Galandri. And you're listening to Between, Between the, the Bookends, which is a weekly podcast series about two young writers and their experiences. This week's topic is character development. And so um, I guess we could start off by talking about what makes a good character. Well, <laughs> my definitions in Maggie's of a good character I'm sure will be very different. And I think everybody's definition of what a good character is um, is uh, different. Uh, for me, to be completely honest with you, I have to, um, as far as a main character, I have to like the main character of a book. I won't read it, a book, if I don't like the main character enough. I, you, the author has to make me care what's going on with that main character. And typically, if I don't like somebody, I don't care. <laughs> so I'll be really honest about that. So I think one of the key things, um, really, is to make a character... Um, at least relatable, if not likable, to an audience. Even if it is a villain, you have to you have to have that ability to make a hero or a protagonist at least likable or want to root for them. And a um, someone that you love to hate for a villain. <laughs> uh, that's that was exactly where I was going with the villain. You have to make the villain someone who's not cardboard villain. I've seen too many cardboard villains in fiction where they're just evil for the sake of evil. And they don't really have a backstory, and I think you have to yeah, root them no in a substance. little bit. You have to root them in a bit of a backstory. But the whole point of a villain, obviously, is that you don't like them. So <laughs> you still have to unmake. You still have to like make their craziness irrational, irrational enough that you are you are rooting for them. I guess to me, that's what makes a good character is someone I can relate to, and maybe um, empathize with their struggles. As far as a protagonist. Yeah, I think for me a good character is someone with a lot of depth. Or someone it's um like the way that um their their kind of stories have shaped them um mm-hmm. and how they've grown from their experiences and just kind of like going along like going through the life of the character and seeing how they've developed um over time and just, you know, seeing how they react to their own struggles and grow as a person individually. Um, I think that's really important for a character and, like, kind of getting likability and um, also how they interact with other characters is really important. And I guess um, how they treat um, maybe, like, other uh, characters or living things that are different from them, maybe, like, animals or children or um, their family, uh, that can have a lot of influence on how a character is, but maybe they're that way for a reason. Maybe they, they hate their, I don't know, uncle or something, and so they're, they're really mean to them, you don't know why, until you find out later in the book, and then you're like, oh, okay, I understand that character a lot better now. So I think that's really important, too, um, for, um, likability factors and kind of um, even if you don't like them right away, you kind of understand them. Absolutely. So Absolutely. Um, a good example of that actually is the book I'm reading right now. I'm still reading the Sylvia Day book one with you. And um, throughout the entire series, uh, Gideon has been, had a very not, he's had a very ugly distaste for his family. And no one knows why. Particularly he doesn't like his, like his uh, stepbrother. And we're still not really sure why. I'm kind of hoping to figure out the conclusion of the book. But I have a feeling it has to do with his sexual abuse, that none of them were accepting that he was sexually abused, and that none of them did anything to defend him when he was being sexually abused. I think that's what it has to do with a lot of it. But obviously, 
you think he's being a jerk through the course of most of the book, like, why is he doing this? But throughout the story, you've gotten some hints as to maybe why. And I think that helps you to understand, as Maggie said, the character a little better. So I think those are really, I think those are some really important things a character has to have. Yeah, like defining moments that just kind of explain <clears throat> who they are and why they are the way that they, they are. <laughs> because um, honestly, with I think with a good character and with human beings in general, there are things that you love about a person and there are also going to be some things that you don't really like about a person. I mean, even people that you're really close with, they're not going to love everything about somebody. Um, even yourself, you might not like every aspect of yourself, but that's just who you are. I mean, humans aren't perfect. So um, I think that's a really interesting concept, too, to take on as um, humans in general and how to try and make some um, character that's in your mind into an actual person that someone can feel and understand. I agree with that. I also think, um, <clears throat> kind of going into another step, I think another thing a character needs is a good story. Like, you need to, um, with a character, you need to pick a moment in their life or a time in their life when something, when they're forced to kind of confront something or confront a part of themselves or some um, or someone else that um, is a life-changing moment. I think that's a really crucial part because um, I know in my book that I'm working on right now, Dreams, um, Steve, uh, I've been, fo I actually focus on a lot of parts of Steve's life, but most of the time I, I've described, I've started to realize my book is snapshots, like little snapshots and photographs. And it's just little moments throughout the course of his life that um, kind of lead him to where he ends up. It's all a journey. And um, so, and, and throughout the course of it, you get to see how he uh, stays the same and how he changes over the course of 40 years. And I mean, it's, it's kind of dramatic in some ways and in other ways, there's still the roots of the person he was when, he, when you first meet him. And I think all of that is really, um, important in a character. You have to see how they change, whether or not they remain um, dynamic, whether they're dynamic or a static character. Because I think that's another thing you have to make a decision on when you're a writer. You have to decide, is my character going to change or is my character going to stay the same? That's a big, mm -hmm. that's a big deal. It is. Because like, I mean, it tells a lot about a person if you change, but also if you don't change, that really shows who you are um, in a given situation. Um, also, um, and as far as going into, I'm going to go into a little bit of how you characterize. Um, I think one of the most important ways you characterize a character is through their appearance. Um, obviously a character who, like my character is Steve, so he's going to be a lot different in 1976 than he is now. Obviously, he's 67 years old at the point I'm writing him at in 2016. He is not going to be wearing leisure suits like he wore in 1976. At least I really, really hope he isn't, because then I will be very sad for him. But you, you, you evoke. It's it's actually going back a little bit to time and place. You evoke time and place, but you evoke personality. Mm -hmm. For example, he wears leisure suits. Then he's not wearing um, silk shirts and. Uh, <laughs> Unless John, he's one of those people who can't his, let go of the glory days. Yeah, and um, but. I digress. <laughs> yeah, um, but you're really evoking, uh, like him, he, he wears like pretty, pretty, what would have been very common clothing. And then you look at like a female character, for example, like um, Chrissy. I, I'll use Chrissy as an example. 
Chrissy is very, again, very time period, but she tends to be, as a woman, a little more flamboyant. She uh, dares to go braless um, with her clothing. She wears satin shirts without bras underneath and <laughs> all kinds of crazy things. And then you have characters now who wear, like, short shorts and, like, lace tops and just you're evoking the feeling of that character because... Chrissy's a character who is, is set in the set, mainly the 70s and 80s, and then you have Emma, who is a character that you only see in the more modern uh, chapters. And she actually, her personality is much more laid-back, free-frilling, very Chrissy, actually. And she wears m clothes that would be a throwback, but in a more modern fashion. So, like, clothes, I think, are a huge way to evoke a character. Definitely. Um, I like their personality, too. Like... I know, my personal style, you know I love leather. So I, I do know you love leather. Stuff about my personality, kind of like rockery and stuff like that. Right. Um, and uh, just like fabrics can tell a lot about a person. And I think clothes are, oh, I love clothes. Yeah, <laughs> They're just so fun. And I think in writing a book with my, like mine, with, such, with four extremely different decades, it's a lot of fun. Even two, two centuries you're covering with uh, clothing. And you're evoking like what a rocker would have worn in 1977 versus what a rocker in 2016 wears. Actually, Maggie and I were having this discussion one day because I'm I'm currently writing a uh, concert scene, and the, I had to decide how a rock star was going to dress. And I mean, obviously, <laughs> there, he's not going to dress like Robert Plant did when he was with Zeppelin, because um, that would be really weird, and I'd be <laughs> freaked out. <laughs> I'd really question a lot of things about the character, but. Um, so I, I kind of went for more of the jeans and the, um, like, vests and t-shirts and a little more casual, but still, um, there's something kind of classy there, like, but also the character is 35 years old, a rock star. You have to kind of look at how, yeah. age, I mean, age is another huge thing about your character. You kind of mm -hmm. have to pick your, pick your ages. I tend to like to write older characters. I don't know why. I always have. Particularly in my romances, I like the characters to be in their 30s. I really don't know why. I always just have written that way. So I think you have to pick like what you're comfortable with in characterization, what you feel comfortable characterizing as far as that stuff. Um, and I think giving your characters a backstory is huge. Mm -hmm. Maggie and I, one day we were sitting and I was working on backstories for dreams. And I was trying to decide where my character was going to be from. Kind of like, I want him to be from Oklahoma. And I'm like, well, where is he going to be from in Oklahoma? And uh, so I'm looking up Oklahoma, map of Oklahoma, and I'm trying to decide. And I was like, oh, it's going to be Tulsa. It's going to be Tulsa, Oklahoma, because I just like the way Tulsa sounds. <laughs> and then I was looking around um, the map, and I found this place called Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. And I did some actual research on Broken Arrow, and it sound, it was such a more interesting place for him to be from. Because mm -hmm. the way Broken Arrow changed um, during when Steve would have been um, living there is kind of the path he followed. So I was like, that's a really good like backstory to add to him and a parallel and it's great. So I think adding like really good backstories to your characters is really important. Like Steve is from Oklahoma and then Chrissy is a California girl to heart. Like she's from like, I think it was from like, now I can, oh, she's from uh, Bel Air. So I mean, you've got like the rich girl <laughs> and kind of this almost Midwestern boy. Sounds like the Bob Seeker song, Hollywood Nights, hmm. which I'm using while I'm writing this book. So <laughs> that just made me think of that song. So that song literally, so that's literally like you're, you're kind of polarizing those two, which are often polarized in, in fiction. And um, you just throw in those kinds of like little backstories that are 
so fun. Really adding uh, flavor and, as Maggie likes to say, depth to your character because you don't want cardboard characters. Those are the worst when they don't really have any substance and their problems are all very superficial. Yep. And I almost think the problems that are presented in your novel are very much reflections of, of, of basic human problems. Um, my problems are usually in my stories are rooted in love, typically, because I write romance. But like in my book, Ideal Hero, which is going to be my next work in progress, I write with I write um, I write in first person point of view from the point of view of a uh, romance writer, ironically, and she's me in a lot of ways. She's my fictional um, she's my fictional muse, and she deals with anxiety, which is something I deal with, and um, I'm kind of channeling her, channeling my own issues into her as kind of a therapeutic thing, but it's also helping me to resolve it myself. So I think in a lot of ways, I always say that your characters are you in so many ways. There's always a part of you in each character. That is so true. It doesn't matter if it's a male or a female. It doesn't matter if it's a person or Mm -hmm. a, a living thing, any other type of living thing. There is a part of you in that character. There is a, some small trait. There could be a lot of traits that are part of you, but that's the important part is to say that there is a part of you in every bit of those characters because um, it's impossible not to have your own voice somewhere in there. Very true. I mean, that too, like, it doesn't matter if they're good or evil or anything like that. I mean, everybody has a dark side too, mm-hmm. so. I mean, even channeling like yourself into like villains is kind of fun too Mm -hmm. so that's interesting i think and i think there's a part of us there's obviously a part of us in the villains too because it's either the problems we face um from other individuals or it's the problems it's the um, struggles we face innerly and do not act upon Mm, yeah take like a character like esmeralda in um helen heals my book she's obsessed because there's a man she loves and does not love her back We've all had people who don't return our affection. I just don't go out and stalk them <laughs> and try to kill his current girlfriend. Um, we're, we are obviously, Maggie and I are logical people, but <laughs> this woman is mentally ill and does not understand that you, you, you don't do those things. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I definitely, like, I think that's a really good example of how, like, our own inner struggles can be reflected in our, our villains. Mm-hmm. Even, um, I, I've been struggling because there's no true villain in dreams. The only villain really is illness and time, I think. Um, Ooh, and that maybe, sounds pretty. I like the way you just said that. <laughs> and maybe, um, maybe the atmosphere of, of the 70s, the drugs. I'd say those are your, but there is a character in there who you're not supposed to, well, you're supposed to kind of bounce back and forth, and his name's Mac. And Mac is a character I, I've been struggling with because I hate him. I, I really don't <laughs> like the guy. He's meant not to be like. But at the same time, I understand him in a lot of ways because he's, he's a perfectionistic musician. And he's worked so hard to be successful that he, when he g- gets the opportunity, he wants success and he wants it now. And I, I get that. I get what he wants because he feels like he's worked so hard for it that he deserves it. And I understand that. But the problem is how far he takes it to the point where he um, he basically, um, how do I say this? He like, he steps on other people's dreams and other people's personalities in favor of getting his own um, work recognized. 
but his person he, he almost comes out as arrogance and that's that's kind of a big issue for his character and it continues to be an issue throughout the entire story and i don't know honestly if it's an issue that's ever going to be resolved because you can't change people and it's not like some big event because i feel like he's going to get so far out of touch with reality that that the event that particularly affects Steve is not going to be the event that impacts Mac. I think those are kind of good character moments too, is seeing like how, Maggie was talking about, how characters react to a situation, like the static and dynamic. And here's a good example. Mac's going to stay very static. He's going to be a very static character. Steve's going to be very dynamic. There's going to be, a, I'm, I'm, spoiler alert, there's going to be a death in my book. And how each of them react to that death is very important because it shows their passion for that person and how much they truly cared. You're going to see true colors of individuals through that. And you're also going to see who decides to change and make their life better because of that. Yeah, that's a great point too. Like some people are, let's take, um, elderly people as an example um so some people when they get old they get really depressed mm -hmm. other people are like okay let's live it up i you know I, when my time comes i'll be ready to go i've lived a great life <laughs> um it just depends on the kind of person you are and how events have shaped you and who's been there for you in your life and i think that tells a lot about a person too mm -hmm. um you know how they feel towards the end of their life um whether they're, uh, you know, ready to go or maybe they are completely distressed <laughs> um, or both. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think uh, family members and friends and, you know, I guess sidekicks and whatnot have a huge influence over characters or even like um, lovers in a romance uh, setting. Um, they have a huge influence on each other <laughs> and how their personalities develop. Mm -hmm. That's that's actually something coming up in another book I'm working on, Ideal Hero, because she has um, issues with anxiety. And how he reacts to her anxiety changes the dynamic of their relationship because he accepts it and he wants to help her and he wants to know more about it so that he can be helpful to her. At the same time, he's dealing with a very anxiety-inducing situation. His mother is dying. And she, consequently, feels like he's taking on all of her stuff along with his stuff. And so she feels guilty and more anxious, consequently, because he's <laughs> taking on her anxiety. It's, it's a cycle with the two of them because, in a lot of ways, it is too much that he takes on, psychologically. He's taking on the death of... the possible death of someone he loves and the constant reassurance of someone else he loves and that's hard constantly having to reassure someone you care about that they're good enough that's an exhausting thing to have to do mm -hmm. but there are just some people's personalities who they need it and I think that's going to be the way they bounce off of each other is going to be very interesting to see I think I, I also <laughs> what kept coming to mind was the crossfire books like how they influence each other because he has nightmares and they don't sleep in the same bed because he has um nightmares about his sexual abuse and uh, he tends to act out sexually in his dreams 
and that can be very, um, it actually can border on rape, the way he, his dreams come out, and he does, he's not conscious, and it's very disturbing, it's sad, and he has no control over it, but she's changed him, she's allowed him to open up about this, he's never told anyone he was sexually abused, and, and, and for a man, that's a really, um, that's a really tough situation but the way they've played off of each other and what's interesting is how despite both of them both of them having been sexually abused early in life they're both very sexual people they she actually over sexualized she went out and slept with a bunch of guys afterwards because that validated her he did the same thing but he slept with women and it's just interesting how when they come together, it's it's sexually charged and they use it to solve every problem in their relationship. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that only creates bigger problems. So, in the current book, they're trying to... Sounds mm-hmm. like your neighbors. <laughs> 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 they're trying to restructure that and trying to work backwards. Because, right, that's exactly how they're influencing each other. Because they can't, they're obsessed with each other in that. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, emotionally and physically. And... In a lot of ways, they are helping each other because they're seeing, they're in, they're in counseling and stuff. But in some ways, so using sex to solve a relationship, solve relationship problems is, is is not good. It doesn't work all the time. Mm-hmm. Probably doesn't really work at all, to be honest with you. Communication is key. <laughs> yes, and they they they're good at communication, but they they're both explosive in personality. So, I think in romance, it's just really how romantic partners influence someone is is very interesting. That is. It's also um, I think another key part that we should definitely talk about is supporting characters. Yeah. And how to not make them <laughs> static or not necessarily not static, Fluff. but yeah, just there just to be there. Because <laughs> that's I I've noticed in the book I'm currently I'm going to publish in July called Unbound. My supporting characters have their own subplots, all of them. Mm, nice. Ah, uh, there That's was impressive. there was a side <laughs> romance going on between two of these characters. There was a whole possible romance with another side character going on with another character. It was just there was a lot of subplots going on, and I th- thought they were, excuse me, they were all really. It really felt like family. You felt like you knew all the characters. That's the thing about reading a book with that's got well-developed uh, main and supporting characters. You feel like you're going back to a family when you're reading it. You feel yeah. like it feels it feels like family. It feels comfortable. It feels like they're your friends. The parents are your family. It feels like you feel connected, and that's important too. Feeling really connected to a story. Feeling yeah, like definitely. You're almost a part of it. It's like you can identify with them because they're also intertwined and. Their stories, you know, they all influence each other, and their stories just all, you know, interlace together into one big web of story. <laughs> Maggie, it's absolutely true. Um, I just think characters really need to. I feel like there's so many characters out there in main literature, in ma- mainstream literature, that just they don't stand out to me. Like, I know you're supposed to be representing the common person, but not all people are. No one's that boring. Hmm. I've read some really boring characters. I'm like, okay, you've got to have more personality than this because everybody's going. Everybody's life's interesting. There's, it may seem boring to you on the outside, but there's always stuff going on below the surface. That's very true. Steve Clayburgh in my book seems to be a pretty boring guy if you if you look at the surface, but if you dig back into his past, there's so much there, so much good stuff there. I mean. There's a relationship with his wife that was complicated as hell. 
<laughs> there's a relationship with another woman who forever influenced every other relationship he's ever had there's just there's an entire culture that he was obs that he was an outsider to but watched as his friends slowly got sucked into it it's a big life to live when you're like the only one left of a, your friend group yeah that's the same person it's very hard but I think characters are so important to your story. Without your story, you, without characters, you don't have your story. Yep. You. It doesn't matter <laughs> if it's. It doesn't matter if it's a mouse. I mean, it could it, be anything. It could be anything. But you need something <laughs> yeah. to follow. Mm -hmm. Something like people can relate to and feel and you know like hear their thoughts. <laughs> yeah. Basically, it's what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, and you can um, visualize them mm -hmm. and feel like almost like you're close to them. In yeah. Some ways. Um, I think another important thing that we could talk about is um, we already kind of discussed age a little bit, but um, gender and like social status also play a big role mm. in um, mm -hmm. how a character acts in the first place. Yep. Like maybe if they came from like a really um, rough beginning. They might um, be raised a lot differently than someone who's come from like a well-educated background or something like that. Like who knows? They might end up being, you know, a thief to like to for their living, or um, the well-educated person might even go down that route. It just depends on you know all their circumstances. Like, do they have a bad family? Um, have they just, maybe they have a good family, they just never really got along with anybody or felt like they were misunderstood or, I don't know, going through some little crisis of their own. So I think that that's a big part of it too is yeah, you have to take into account um, social status, wealth, all of those things. Your upbringing is really important, like nature versus nurture and all that. Because um, that really defines a character. It does. It does define a character. It. And gender, you know, you mentioned gender. Gender is a huge one mm -hmm. because, particularly if you're looking in a in a time period context, social. Mm, yep. Like dreams is very different because women and men were very sexually liberated at this time. They kind of had sex with anybody. Didn't matter what the gender was. We were very fluid. It was very <laughs> cool to do whatever. So I think that's what's going to be a huge issue. Like women, kind of. Also, women were not, I mean, women were sexually liberated and there was feminist, uh, second wave feminism going on. But at the same time, women in the rock industry particularly just, they wanted to be close to a rock star, so they had sex with them. So they used their bodies a lot of the time, and that's, and that's something that you just, that's a time period thing, that women just did that. I mean, yes, we bra burned and we didn't wear bras because, you know, sexual liberation, but <laughs> at the same time, in a lot of ways, we still submitted to men. And that's yeah. that's just something to take note of, I think. Um, the time period plays a big deal in gender. Like, even now, like, gender, I find, I took a gender and lit class um, almost two years ago. And it just, it's, oh, it's impacted the way I write, like, immensely, like, the way I write. I tended to um, make women damsels in distress just because that was... It was kind of the way romances were always written, and that's okay. I, I, I actually don't really see a huge issue with it, because I wasn't purposely trying to be sexist. But um, I'm more conscious about making my women, female characters strong. And that's another thing, strong female characters. Strong female characters <laughs> do not have to be action 
women <laughs> hardcore. Very true. Even though it's more my style. <laughs> I ran into. Kind of well, I've been running into. I just want to state this. I've been running into a lot of s- stuff on social media about a particular female female TV character who was a little more um, had her walls up in the first few seasons of her show, and now that she's in a romantic relationship. Um, they claim she's gone soft and all this, and that she's anti-feminist mm, and all yeah. this stuff. And I'm like, that's that's not that's not your your argument's stupid <laughs> because yeah. being feminine and being strong, like th- that doesn't mean like Opposite. you can be feminine and you can be strong too. Like strong it, women have feelings. Yeah, strong women show emotion. Strong women can be in love. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to exactly. do with. But they feel that because she has a romantic interest, a romantic. Um, a man in her life that she is now not a badass anymore. And I'm like, that is stupid. First of all, she's always going to be a badass. Second of all, no. And I just, well, they think she kind of puppy dogs at her boyfriend, and I I really don't. I think she kind of, she's kind of the, if you will, she's kind of the one who has the pants in the relationship. She kind of just, she's tough. But I think I, I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I'm sure you do. <laughs> but I just, I find that very offensive. That everyone that everyone thinks a strong female char- character has to be Katniss Everdeen, and they don't. They mm-hmm. can be women who want to be in love and strong in that way. Um, so I, that's just my little tidbit about women in literature, because I've been trying to write my women much more emotionally strong. But I'm also not afraid to show them um, be more be vulnerable, because I think that's when it's great is when there is a woman woman who's got such a tough exterior. And then she's vulnerable with the with people she trusts, like her friends or the, her um, lover or whoever. Yeah, so I think totally true. I think that's really important. So that's how I like to insert tough female characters, and also strong female characters can be nice. I promise. Yeah, they don't have to be bitches all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's a stereotype. It is. Um, because apparently a strong woman, nice too. Apparently a strong woman's always a bitch. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but like I consider a lot of my women, particularly my more recent novels, to be very, very strong, very independent women. Um, dreams might be a little different. I'm sure my women are going to be independent, strong women. It's just going to be, for the context of their time, they're going to be strong, independent women because I think that definition has changed. I also think it's perfectly okay to have a um, male written however you prefer. I tend to write my male characters. I I like the alpha male character, even though a lot of people consider that very sexist. I like it, but I can't write it. I I have found I can't (laughs) write an alpha male, uh, no matter how attractive it is. I I can only I have a I have a problem. I can only write very sweet, um, sensitive sensitive guys. I don't know why. I think that's what I want, and I hope I get someday, and I think that's why. But, I mean, and I've seen that side in a lot of the great alpha males as well. Um, back to the Crossfire books again. I'll never forget the scene where Gideon cries, honestly. Won't forget it. It's it's one of those um, uh, scenes in a book that's burned into my memory forever. It's It was that gut-wrenching. And I think that's impactful, is when you can have a character mm-hmm. who's got that exterior that's just unbreakable, and they break. Because that thing has hit them so hard. So, I think it's really important to have those great emotional scenes with characters who seem untouchable, too. Yeah, definitely. That's very good character development when you just, something that 
you know, finally lets you in to see who the character really is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe a problem that's been eating at them for so long is finally revealed. I agree. Well, I think we should be wrapping it up. Um, yeah. I, you and I could talk about characters all night. But, and <laughs> no, that was a quick episode. <laughs> I, actually, no, it wasn't. Really? Mm-mm. Wow. But um, <laughs> you, but we could talk about characters all night. So if you have any more questions about characterization, though, feel free to send them to our um, ask box at betweenthebookends.tumblr.com. We'd love to answer any questions you may have. Maggie, are you still reading The Murder House? Yes, I am. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm still reading one with you by Sylvia Day, and I honestly thought I'd be done with it, but this week has been killers, so I haven't had much of a chance <laughs> to read, and I'm very sad, because it's so good so far, but I'm as I'm creeping closer to the midway point, I'm just getting sadder and sadder that the book's going to end. <laughs> but what I found out, I found out something really interesting about the Crossfire series. I found it only takes place over the course of about 14 months. Wow. I thought it was like a year and the a half. The whole series? The whole series, five books. One book takes place wow. in only two weeks. That shows you how many problems these characters <laughs> have. That shows you how messed up they are. Wow. But I did find out um, she will be beginning a new series, and it will take place over the course of decades in a char- in two char- in um, a relationship. And I'm looking very forward to the new Sylvia Day series, so yay. I have a little side note. I just thought of something, so... Time has a really big influence on changing a character, you know, like all these different things have happened to you over time, so that's bound to change you as well. Just so I'd throw that in there. I absolutely agree (laughs) with that. Like you you see how much Gideon Cross changes in a year and I think it's three months, so I guess fifteen months. Um and then we're going to see how these new characters change over the course of decades. And I and that's another thing, like, I was saying about Steve. Steve changes so much, but in so many ways he stays the same. So time definitely plays a huge role, Maggie. Well, next week we will be focusing on writing dialogue, which kind of goes along with yeah. your characters. I love dialogue. Dialogue is probably one of my favorite parts of the book. That's, that's actually, a fun one. I, use, I, write a lot, I write a lot of dialogue in my books, there, but they're very dialogue heavy. So I'm sure we'll enjoy talking about that next week. Well, thanks for listening, and until next week, you'll You'll find find us between the bookends. bookends.